This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, good morning, Anchor Church. So glad that you could join us for Church Online this morning. Can you believe that we are here? This is not the Christmas that we're expecting to have. This is not the Advent season that we're expecting to have. Kind of feels like, I don't know how you're feeling in this season, but it kind of feels like we've got a bad COVID hangover from 2020 and then it just came around and punched us in the face again, right, at Christmas time. Well, I believe that um, I've got a message of hope for us this morning because it's been a tough year for many of us. Uh, Some of you have experienced job loss. Many of you, this has been the worst year of mental health that you have ever had. Uh, All of my personal goals for 2020 went out the window in March. I don't know how your personal goals are going this year. Uh, And it seems like COVID now has got its grubby hands on our Christmas, the thing that we were kind of hoping to enjoy. All of the hope that we had stored up for the summer holiday break feels like it's evaporating between our hands. Our plans have been ruined. Some of you were hoping to travel for Christmas this year. And sadly, you won't be able to be with your family. Others of you have quickly fled New South Wales, running to other states where uh, the cases are much more under control. Uh, Some of you won't get to experience Christmas with your grandparents this year because of uh, health restrictions. Others have had to temper your Christmas celebrations because of financial insecurity. And my question for us this morning is, where will we find hope? Has Christmas been robbed of the peace that it promises to deliver. Uh, What happened to all of the sugar and spice and all things nice? I don't even know what that is, but it feels like a Christmas saying, has it dissipated this Christmas? Has it gone? Well, I want to suggest to you that it hasn't. And I want to give you that reason because the very first Christmas was a mess. It wasn't the scenes that we see in nativity shop windows and Christmas cards. I think we're all familiar with that scene, are we not? It's like, um, this, this perfect nativity scene with a brand newborn baby Jesus, and he's perfect, right? Nothing wrong with him. Uh, Mary has barely broken a sweat. Joseph's totally chill. All the animals are lovingly, dotingly peering into the manger, and there is this beam of light coming from heaven over the manger, and everything seems like it's amazing. But the reality is, the first Christmas outside of that scene was a complete mess. And I'll give you a couple of reasons for that this morning. I want to take us away from the airbrushed, photoshopped, sanitized version of Christmas. And I'll take you back to that very first Christmas. And it was a mess for a couple of reasons. The first is Mary is pregnant. Now, Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married. And in the first century, that's a much bigger deal than what it is for us now. You see, in the first century, that was a contractual agreement. It was a 12-month period, a 12-month period of abstinence nonetheless. You weren't allowed to sleep with your prospective wife or partner. And Mary, in that window of time, finds out that she is pregnant. Now, that's not an issue for her because the dress won't fit. That's an issue for her because in the first century, that is a massive social no-no. In fact, sometimes in the first century, the punishment for Uh, Sex outside of marriage is the death penalty. And so here is Mary. Put yourself in her shoes. She finds out from the angel that she is pregnant. Uh, She has not yet got married to Joseph. She's worried. 
She's worried that Joseph will leave her. She's worried that she will be a single mom in a society with no health care, no welfare system, no support system. In fact, she's going to have to deal with all of the judgy stares as she goes to the shops. Will she be shunned by society? Will she be kicked out of her family? What will happen? Imagine the conversation. She says to Joseph, baby, I've got some news to tell you. I hope you're sitting down. I just want to let you know I'm pregnant. Surprise, Uh, the child's not yours. I know, I know, but please believe me, this child is from God. I mean, how's that gonna land, right? Or put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second. He's worried what people will think of him. He's worried that people will think that he indeed is the father of this child. He's worried about all of the same things that Mary is worried about, and so he plans to divorce her on the down low. I remember watching a, um, a YouTube video a while ago of uh, epic wedding fails, a whole string of them. And the, the one that kind of stuck with me the most was a scene where this couple are getting married. They're on a, a platform with a beautiful pool behind them and the best man is standing at the bottom of the stairs. And the, the person who's officiating the ceremony says, do we have the rings? And the best man gets up. It's his moment. He gets up. He trips on the first step. He falls forward. He pushes the bride into the pool. She drags the priest with her and they both go crashing into the pool behind them. Their wedding day is completely ruined. That's where Mary and Joseph are at. They had all of these plans for a wonderful, amazing wedding. Their wedding day, 12 months ahead, and here their plans are completely ruined. Like this is way more than the, um, the, the you know, COVID kind of ruining your wedding date or the amount of people that you have at your wedding. This is a complete disaster for Mary and Joseph. Their wedding plans are ruined. Well, secondly, uh, Joseph plans to divorce Mary on the DL. He doesn't want to subject her to public disgrace. Uh, so his plan is to quietly leave Mary. Let her have this baby disappear out of the scene, disassociate himself. And were it it not for an angel who appeared to Joseph in a dream, he would have executed that very plan. What starts with this perfect day, this, this dream of a perfect wedding day, is on the brink of utter disaster and ruin. Well, the third reason that the first Christmas is an absolute mess is because the birth is entirely traumatic. Mary, uh, just a week before her due date, a census is called and Joseph and Mary have to travel back to their hometown of Bethlehem to register for the census. This is a 160 kilometer trip. There's no public transport, there's no cars, there's no Uber, there's no bus that you can catch. And so Mary and Joseph travel via donkey. Now horseback travel at the best of times is not comfortable. If you've ever ridden a horse, for any more than an hour, you will know that that is not a comfortable experience, let alone being full-term pregnant. I think that is why all of the videos and Christmas stories picture Mary sitting with her feet across the side of the donkey. Either way, that is a horrendous journey to have to make. And as Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem, her waters break. She is about to deliver this baby. There is no room anywhere. All of the inns are full. All of the Airbnbs are full. All of the bed and breakfasts are full. They have nowhere to stay. And the only place left for Mary to deliver this baby is in the animal shed. The shed out the back where all the animals are stored after their long journey. Now just put yourself there for a moment. 
Imagine the smells that are emanating from the cattle shed. We're talking feed, we're talking dung, we're talking urine, we're talking at the stench of animals and straw. And here it is that Mary has to deliver her baby. This is a mess. I still remember um, the, uh, the birthing tour that we got of the birthing suite at Nepean Private Hospital when our first child was born. We got a tour of the, the hospital quarters. There was a, a kitchenette with a microwave in our room, a private little kitchenette. They had a private ensuite. There was a stretcher bed to roll out. There was a private TV with a full suite of Foxdale channels for us to watch. And it was impeccably clean, as you would expect. This is not how Joseph and Mary had planned to have their first child. I guess the social or cultural equivalent of this would be having to deliver your baby on one of those like servos along the freeway in the toilet at the servo, a dirty truckside servo toilet. That's kind of what it would be like for Mary to have delivered this baby there. Well, the final reason that this Christmas is a mess is because this baby, this baby who was born, has a death threat on his head. He has a bounty on his head. You see, King Herod, who was the ruler at the time, appointed by the Romans to rule over Jerusalem, is, uh, he's a very insecure leader. He hears of this newborn king as a rival to his own rule. And so he orders the death of all babies born two years and under. All of them need to be wiped out. Now in a town the size of Bethlehem, we're talking maybe 12 to 15 children. You can imagine the grief and devastation that that causes to families. And so literally Mary and Joseph, they're warned again in another dream, another vision, and they flee for their lives. They literally become political refugees. The first Christmas is a mess. There's an out-of-wedlock pregnancy, a wedding that's about to fall apart, a traumatic birth experience, and a baby with a bounty on its head and a family fleeing as political refugees. And you've got to ask yourself a question. If this is God's plan, what is he doing? What could God possibly be doing in this moment? It is a mess. If God is in control, what's happening? That's a pretty common question that we would ask, right? Especially at a moment like this, especially after a year that we have had. If God is in control, why have we experienced what we've experienced in 2020? What is happening in our world? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that Christmas is a reminder that God works in the mess. That God works often despite the mess and even using the mess to achieve his purposes. God had a plan, and His plan is not always obvious to us who are watching, but His plan will not be thwarted. It's not changed by personal circumstance. It's certainly not thwarted and changed by political influence. God has a plan, and it's a long-term plan too. We know that for two reasons in that passage that was read to us. God executes this plan perfectly. And despite the mess, and even in the mess, he's using the circumstances to achieve his purposes. The first clue we get there from that text is in verse 23. The prophet Isaiah, who prophesied around 700 years before the birth of Jesus, predicted with amazing accuracy what would happen on that first Christmas night. It says there in verse 23, The virgin will conceive, she will have a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, when you have one of those gender reveal parties, 
I guess if you're, um, you're the parents in that situation, you don't really know whether it's going to be a boy or a girl, you could guess at that, right? You've got a 50-50 shot of getting the gender right, boy or girl, right? And they pop the balloon, oh, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I'm a prophet, right? What you cannot guess is that this child would be born of a virgin, right? That's not something that you can just happen to predict, And so Isaiah, with incredible accuracy and prophetic insight into the future, predicts that Mary will have a child, she will be a virgin, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And 700 years later, God's plan begins to unfold. The second thing you'll notice, the second clue there that God had a plan is in verse 20. You see, the angels appear to Joseph and they say to him, Joseph, you are going to have a son. A son will be born and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves. Now, Jesus is a very common name, right? It's not um, in the first century. It's not an uncommon name. It's not a special name by any stretch of the measure. We have um, got an anglicized version of that and we call it Joshua, right? That's the name. As common as Joshua is today, Jesus was in the first century, and it means God saves. Now, my name, Matthew, means gift of God. Now, I reckon that very first night when I was born, back on the 5th of June in 1997, my parents probably felt that that was true, that this child is a gift of God. Fast forward six months later, I'm not sure my parents were believing that, right? After six months of no sleep, of screaming all through the night, I reckon my parents thought, this child is a demon. Can we give it back? Is it too late to get a refund on this child? Gift of God. It's kind of like a hard name to live up to, to be honest. And I'm not sure I got even close in my teenage years. You know, Anchor's a bit of a baby factory at the moment. It seems like uh, we're having a, a new child join our church family every month or so. And names are important, right? Names have meanings. And sometimes names have unfortunate meanings. So to all the parents out there who are expecting, let me just give you a couple of names to avoid this Christmas. The first is, uh, is Cameron. I don't know if we've got any Camerons watching this morning, and I'm, I'm apologizing to you if this is your name. But Cameron means crooked nose, uh, which is unfortunate. Or, or Kennedy, for example, means deformed head. And, um, and Calvin means bald. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a newborn baby, but they all have crooked nose, deformed heads, and they're all bald. The moment they're born, they look exactly like that. So it's a very apt description of a child if you so happen to choose that name. But maybe some of these ones you would like to avoid. For the girls, uh, Mallory means unlucky, so potentially avoid Mallory. Or the best one, Dougal, which I don't know if you would call your child Dougal, and I apologize to all the Dougals out there, but Dougal means dark stranger which is kind of awkward and creepy if you think about it. But God says, I'm sending my son and his name is Jesus, which means God saves. God had a plan. God had a plan for the mess and the pain and the brokenness of this world. And his plan was this, to send a baby. Jesus comes, the king comes, not in pomp and ceremony, not with horses and trumpets, but he comes and he's born a baby in weakness, in vulnerability, in fact, in suffering. He comes into the mess of this world to identify with the mess, to come alongside of us in the midst of our pain and to rescue us from it. God saves 
You know, the world is a mess because we have made it a mess. And Christmas is God's promise to us that he will fix the mess. Jesus is God's rescue plan. You know, the fact that the first Christmas played out the way that it did is a reminder to us of a number of things. Firstly, it's a reminder to us that God is not cold and distant and removed from the pain and the hurt and the brokenness. No, in fact, God has chosen to come near. The mess of the first Christmas is a reminder that God is not afraid. He runs towards our pain and our brokenness. That first Christmas is a reminder to us that that Christmas is a pledge of God's commitment, his firm commitment to a broken and messy world that he will fix it, that he has promised to make all things new. And probably most profound in this moment is the reminder that Christmas is God's promise to be with us as he sends Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. That's a profound truth for us to remember. Maybe some of you are feeling alone, isolated this Christmas to remember God is with you. Now sure, that doesn't change our circumstances. It doesn't change the fact that we're on heightened restrictions here in Sydney. It doesn't change the fact that you can't perhaps celebrate Christmas with your family, but it is a reminder that you don't have to do Christmas alone this year. God is with us. Christmas is God's promise to fix the mess. And it doesn't really matter how messy our lives are. It doesn't matter how messy your life or your circumstances are this year. God has the power in the birth of his son to restore a broken and messy world. Whatever Christmas looks like for you this year, whether uh, you are painfully hurting this year, whether you feel lonely, whether you are broken, or whether your experience is the converse, You have been relatively unaffected by this year's circumstances. You are surrounded with loving friends and family. You have more Christmas presents than you know what to do with, wherever you are at this Christmas. Our prayer, our hope, and our wish for you is that you would remember that God is with us, that God is making all things new. We've got a lot to be thankful for, church. And I wanna close by praying a blessing over us as we head out this year, as we do whatever we're doing uh, over this Christmas period. So would you join me as I lead us in prayer and we spend some time singing together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that despite the mess of this first Christmas, you had a plan. We thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that you've not been distant and removed. We praise you that you have run towards us in our time of need. God, as we have sat in the pigsty wallowing, you have come down and you've sat with us. God, we thank you. I pray for every person this Christmas who is struggling, who feels lonely, who is hurting, who is in need of hope and peace. God, I pray that you would be near. We thank you that you promise that you will be. God, we praise you. Despite circumstances, God, we praise you this Christmas that you love us. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Well, hey, church, thank you so much for joining us. We are gonna close our time together this morning by singing a couple of carols. So I'm gonna hand over to the band. Stand up in your homes and let's celebrate and worship together.